0: Now, for the last time I get to say, or I, or I not get to, I've really enjoyed it, but turn in your Bibles to Luke. This is our concluding sermon in a series that started on December 2nd, 2007. Uh, so if you feel like you've been in the black hole of Luke, you have. And its uh, if it feels it's been, we've been doing this for a while, we have been doing it for a while. But I've, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to know Luke again. Uh, he's become uh, a friend once again and his message of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been a blessing for me to study. It's been a blessing for me to preach. I hope it's been encouraging uh, spiritually for you guys. But we're coming to the very end this morning. We're going to look at about the last twelve verses of the gospel of Luke in chapter twenty-four, uh, and and I think this is kind of a classic ending. I don't know about you, but I like uh, I like to go to the theater or go to movies or read a book. That really has a good ending. Really, you know, something that maybe catches you off guard that you weren't uh, expecting. Or, or I, I don't have to have a really good ending all the time, uh, but I like to have a compelling ending. I think Luke offers us uh, something of that this morning. You know, you think of uh, Scarlett O'Hare, You know, at the very last scene in *Gone with the Wind*, and you know, she's raising her fist and she says, "God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again." You know, she she sits there among the destruction of her her home terra that the Yankee hordes came in and and ruined her home. You know, you see her her fist against the sky. Uh, one of my favorite endings is, is uh, uh, The Godfather and Michael Corleone, when, you know, when he bumps off all his enemies. I'm, I'm not quite sure what that says about me, but in my character, you know, I, I probably need to see somebody about that. But, you know, just kind of the way he sets it all up at the end and you're, and you're surprised and, and startled all at the same time. And I like a good ending. Uh, and we've been on a long journey. We've been on this journey for almost 18 months, and so hopefully there's a there's a compelling ending here. Certainly, if you've been here at all, you remember the theme uh, from chapter 19, verse 10, where Luke explains uh, through the words of Jesus himself why Luke wrote his gospel. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And uh, if you go all the way back to the very first chapter of Luke, and you look at his very uh, first introductory words Luke tells us exactly why he wrote this book. He's talking to his friend Theophilus, who is a person who never met Jesus. He, he didn't experience Jesus in his earthly ministry, but he'd heard about Jesus. He'd been taught about Jesus. So Luke says this, I thought it would be good that I would write, uh, follow these things, cl- write about these things, which I follow closely for some time past, in order to give an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke's purpose is that those of us who have not seen Jesus face-to-face can still have certainty in our faith. And so Luke wrote his gospel for you and for me, not just for Theophilus. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, the purpose is that we can know for certain uh, that our faith is founded uh, in a solid place. And so uh, we're going to uh, wrap this up and look at Luke's concluding words. Uh, because this concern is for you and I this morning and those of us who, who have not seen Jesus face to face. And I want to give you two key words that we're going to look at in these last verses. The first word is witness, uh, and the second word is worship. Those are really, if you're going to boil down, and I could preach five or six sermons on just these last verses, but if you're going to, if you're going to really boil it down to the most essential statement that Luke makes in, in his gospel, it's these two words, witness and worship. So we'll see those uh, as we read through the text and as we work our way back through it but uh, let's look at Luke chapter 24 uh, beginning in 36 verse 36 and reading through the end of the chapter and the end of the book so here are the, here are the words of Luke as they were talking about these things he's talking about the disciples having this conversation Jesus himself stood among them and said to them peace to you but they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit and he said to them why are you troubled And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, we have been on a, on a long journey with our friend Luke. Uh, and for uh, many Sundays, we have considered the life and the ministry of the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost. We have seen in these pages that Jesus was pre existent God who became flesh, who was born of the Virgin Mary. He was a son of man who came, and he came with a mission. He came seeking, and Lord, we've studied in Luke's gospel the seeking heart of Jesus, and we've seen him uh, compelled by your spirit and led by, by his relationship and his love for his heavenly Father to go and to find lost sinners just like us, and people who were wealthy and people who were poor, people who were physically healthy and people who were physically sick. The masses and individuals, the son of man came seeking. We have certainly observed that in Luke's pages and we have seen also the saving ministry of the Son of Man that he freely gave himself in our place. He became our substitute on the cross and took your wrath and your punishment that we deserve in order that he could give us forgiveness and grace and mercy and you would then welcome us into your family as adopted sons and daughters. Lord Jesus, this is truly an amazing story. We thank you for inspiring Luke by your Holy Spirit to write it down so that we, even these 2,000 plus years later, could study it. Lord Jesus, we need the, the edification and the feeding that is found in this gospel. We uh, we are prone to wander, as we sang this morning. We're prone to lose sight of you. We are bombarded with messages that, that call out that the world is most important and that spiritual things are inconsequential. And ultimately, this is the truth of life that we need. So, Father, help us with uh, all the distractions of the last week and the coming week. Uh, the things that are heavy on our hearts, and and open our minds and our hearts to your word this morning. Lord Jesus, what I say isn't important. It doesn't matter. It is only your truth. We need your eternal truth. We pray that you would come and by your spirit and your word that you would give it to us. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want to say to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we get into witness and worship, I want to go down two side roads real briefly, as I said. I could preach a whole bunch of sermons just out of these verses, and I'm going to uh, refrain from doing that because I'm anxious to get on next week with our study in the book of Genesis. Uh, and if you want to be preparing for that sermon next Sunday, read the first four words of Genesis, and you'll be good to go. That's what we're looking at. And if we take it at four verses at a time, we'll be done with Genesis in 2023, which is right about the time I'll need to retire, so it'll be perfect. Now, we're going to go a little bit quicker clip than that, but next Sunday we are going to look at the first uh, the first four verses. Uh, 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 words in the first verse of Genesis. But a couple of side roads, just real quickly. The first one is this. Jesus is not put off by our fear or our doubts. Look at verses, and I'm not gonna put them on the screen. Listen to verses 36 in the first verse of Genesis. But a couple verses 36 and 37. As the disciples were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they had seen a ghost. These are Jesus' best buddies. These are the guys that have been with Jesus day in and day out for three plus years. They're the guys who the women came and reported who had been at the, at the grave that morning. He's not there. We've seen some angels. He's risen. These were the guys that the, the two fellows from the road to Emmaus that we talked about last week had come back and found the disciples and said, yeah, it's true, Jesus has risen. And now Jesus is there and they're still doubting and they're still fearful, and they still don't get it. And that might describe some of us this morning. You might say, you know, I'm still not quite there. I'm still doubting just a bit, and is it okay for me to, to keep trying to figure this out? And the answer that Jesus gives is unequivocally yes. Jesus is not put off by our fear. He's not put off by our doubts. Jesus isn't offended when you say, Jesus, I'm not sure if you're there, but if you're there, I'd like to know you. That, that doesn't make Jesus want to reject you doesn't make Jesus want to to not enter into a relationship with you. So if you're here this morning and you're just kind of trying to figure it out, maybe you're taking the very first steps of faith, don't be discouraged. If you feel some doubt or you feel some fear and trepidation, Jesus welcomes you into the conversation, which leads me to my second side road. It's this. Jesus always says, come and see for yourself. And this engagement with with the disciples, he says, why are you guys troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? And then listen to what he says. See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then he says, uh, he lets them touch them. They showed him his hands. He shows them his feet. They still disbelieve because of joy. He says, give me a piece, something to eat. And They give him a piece of boiled fish and he says, see, a, a ghost doesn't eat real food. I'm really alive. Jesus always says, come and see for yourself. Jesus stands on his own merit. He stands on his own resurrection. And he, and he doesn't necessarily need us to uh, make an apology for him or to make a defense for him. We need to be prepared to be witnesses for Jesus. And I'm going to talk about that this morning because I, I believe he does. But we need to do that with the understanding that Jesus can handle himself. You know, Jesus is, he's, he, he's a big guy, so to speak. He, he's not too worried about people who come to challenge him, to come to, to maybe uh, doubt his truth about who he is. Jesus isn't put off by that. He can speak for himself. And sometimes I think those of us who are disciples, we get a little bit nervous about sharing our faith with someone. And we're worried, how will they react or what will they think? And I, and I want you to know, Jesus has all the confidence in the world. He knows he speaks the truth and we need to be uh, confident in him. I came across an email this week that, that kind of speaks about self-confidence just a little bit, and I, I kind of smiled at it. It was a fun little email, and it's a radio. He speaks the truth, and we need to be, it's a radio exchange between uh, a radio operator in the Iranian air defense system uh, and a pilot, and it, there's only, there's uh, four sentences. It goes like this. The Iranian, Iranian air defense radar operator. Unknown aircraft, you're in Iranian airspace. Identify yourself. Pilot. This is a United States aircraft. I am in Iraqi airspace. Air, air defense from Iranian uh, radio operator. You are in Iranian airspace. If you do not depart our airspace, we will launch an interceptor air. We will launch interceptor aircraft. Pilot. This is a United States Marine Corps F-18 fighter. Send them up. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about self-confidence that goes a long way. Now, Flying an F-18 probably helps with self-confidence, but being the son of God helps that much more. <laughs> and Jesus is who he said he was, and he's not intimidated, and he's not going not to back down from the argument. And we can engage with, with friends and neighbors and family members with confidence, not in ourselves, not that we're the brightest or the sharpest or have all the answers, but confident in him because he is the one who is the resurrected one. Now, on to the points of the morning. I want to look at this idea of of witness, uh, being a witness for Christ. Look at verses 45 through 48, which we'll begin now to to put on the screen this morning. It says this, uh, Jesus has, has told them all about the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms that it had to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand scripture. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus calls his disciples to now bear testimony to that which is true. Jesus is saying to them, you are the ones who are going to take the message from this point forward, and you're going to be the, the mode through which the word of God is given to the world. You are the ones, you are my chosen instruments they are going to go and to proclaim this truth. And I believe that calling of Jesus carries on to every generation of disciples, from the very first guys who are in that, in that room meeting with Jesus, down to today, to you and I, if we're disciples of Jesus, he's saying the same thing to us. You are my witnesses all throughout the whole world. And I wanna pick this apart just for a minute to make sure we understand exactly what Jesus is saying. The first thing I think we need to make sure we're careful about is the content of our witness. Look at what Jesus says, okay? In verse 45, he opens their mind so that they can understand. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. And on the third day rise from the dead. Jesus identifies himself once again for his disciples for the umpteenth time as the Christ as the Messiah. And as we think about our witness in our community, we're not going to people and talking to people, whether they're family members or friends or acquaintances, and we're sharing our faith with them. We're not sharing our faith in a great teacher. We're not sharing our faith in a prophet. We're not sharing our faith in a miracle worker. We're sharing our faith in the Messiah, in the Christ, in the one who was sent from God. And we need to get that straight in our message. That's part of the content of our witness. But the rest of the content is what? That he was rejected, that he would suffer and die, and that he would rise again. Jesus says, make sure you have all the ingredients to the message. You can't take part of it. You must take it in full. You must take it in toto. You can't leave any aspect of it out. To omit part of it would be to make it incomplete. If Jesus isn't the Messiah, what difference does it make that he died on a cross? If Jesus isn't the Messiah, what does it matter that one guy got out of the grave? Do I have any chance that I'm going to get out of a grave if he's not who he said he was? And so it's important that we understand the content of the message. But there's also an application, is there not? That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Friends, that's the application. When I'm talking to a friend or a family member or a coworker, whomever uh, sharing the gospel with you on Sunday mornings, I, I have to make sure that we talk about application. It's not just that Jesus is the Messiah, but that Jesus is the Messiah for you personally and for me personally. And the way that happens is through repentance in order that we might have forgiveness of sins. Do we understand that that's where the rubber meets the road. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 108, 12. Oh, grant us help against the foe for vain is the salvation of man. The psalmist, even before Jesus came, knew that he needed God's salvation and that the application was that God would be merciful and that God would be gracious. And that's what the Christ is all about. So that when we share with people, we can say, Jesus is the Christ and he did suffer on the cross and die and raise again. Why? So that you could confess your sin to God and know that a lightning bolt wouldn't strike you dead. That even though you've offended a holy God and I've offended a holy God, that Jesus paid the price for that so that I could confess my sin to God and receive forgiveness. That God would treat me graciously, not as my sins deserve, not as my actions deserve, but because of what Christ has done, I can have forgiveness. That's the application of the witness. I was talking to a guy yesterday. I just met him yesterday. Uh, he was talking to me about his, a conversation he had with his dad one time. And he was sharing about how Jesus was the Christ and how Jesus uh, had died on the cross and how Jesus had, had rose from the dead. Uh, and he kind of stopped there in the conversation as I understood the way he explained it. And he, and he asked his dad, you know, dad, do you get that? Do you, do you understand that? Uh to which his dad he said he thought a moment, he kinda kinda, you know, contemplated it. He said, Yeah, I think I can buy that. And then he went on to talk about forgiveness and about repentance. And his dad stopped and, and basically said, I, I don't want that part of it. I can get this part, but I don't want that part. Friends, there has to be an application. There has to be not only a witness to who Jesus is and what he does, but what impact it has on your life and on my life. And then there's the framework of witnesses. The last little, little part of this section, Jesus says that you guys are my witnesses now of these things. Okay. But where are they going? That this shall be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. The framework for our witnesses, wherever we are, wherever we go, and Christians are everywhere around the world. And these 11 disciples that were in this room at this particular moment ended up scattering all over the known world into parts of the unknown world, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are called and I'm called to be a witness. We don't have to go to the ends of the world. We certainly can go to the ends of the world. But wherever we are, there's the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed in its fullness. I got an email uh, this last week from one of the folks on our missions team. And they're talking about opportunities we have to come and to meet different folks. Um, and one of them is a, is a missionary that's going to Tanzania. In fact, Ellen's here. I'm going to pick on her for a minute. i just kind of wave at everybody so you can see. Everybody turn around if you're in the front. That's Ellen right there. I'm sorry to pick on you. I've known Ellen since she was like uh, really young. You're still young, but I knew you when you were younger. I'm really stepping in it right now. So I'm going to move on quickly. Um, but Ellen's going to Tanzania, and they're having to get-together this afternoon. you can come and learn about that. Uh, in a couple of weeks... Uh, Some folks who are going to the Micah Project to serve in Honduras are going to come, and there's a a chance to get to know them. And I I just find it wonderful that right here in Little Green Tree Community Church in Kirkwood, you know, we rub shoulders with folks who are scattering to the four corners of the world. And we take some of our our money that we've been given by God to steward, and we help them take that message to the four corners of the world, to places like Russia, uh, to places like Honduras, uh, Europe. The Far East and India, there are wonderful opportunities. But as a witness, our witness knows no bounds. Wherever we are, there the gospel goes. And so the question for application for you and for me this morning: I may not be going to Tanzania, but I'm right here in Kirkwood every day of the week. Do I have my eyes open? Am I looking around? Uh, For those of us that are, you know, in business or in schools, walking down the halls of Kirkwood High School or North Kirkwood Middle School, wherever we find ourselves. Are we prepared to be a witness for Christ? Are we praying for people? Who are the people that I'm talking to that perhaps I can share Jesus with? I, was, um, I did a really dumb thing yesterday. I locked my keys in the trunk of my car. I'm standing in the parking lot at church, and I'm, and I'm getting ready to leave, and I'm kind of in a hurry. Uh, and this woman pulls up, and, and she's looking for a podiatrist who has an office on East Madison, and she doesn't know where East Madison is. And I grew up in Kirkwood. I know exactly where East Madison is. So I stop what I'm doing in my trunk, and I turn around, and I listen to her, and I say, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're out of the parking lot, left, and then right, and then another left. You'll be right there. It'll be on your left hand. I'm giving her all these instructions. Great. She turns around. I close my trunk, and I go to get in my car where are my keys? (laughs) Keys are in the trunk of the car. Can't get home. Can't get a ride home. Got to figure out, I have the spare key at home. So I have to walk all the way home, which is not that far. It's about a mile. So it's not like I, you know, it was a 12 mile hike, but I'm just, you know, I can't walk home and I'm I'm muttering under my breath and I'm just, you know, I got my head down and I I don't have all my tennis shoes and my feet down and I'm just unhappy. You ever get that way? And I'm mad at myself for doing such a foolish thing. And, I'm, and I turn the corner, and I'm coming down Nurk Avenue, and there's a guy standing in his yard. And he looks up, he goes, I, I know you. And I got a guy I hadn't, you know, I didn't recognize him first. So he comes closer, tells me his name. Oh, yeah, we had met, I don't know, probably three months ago at a funeral. And we just start chatting, and it wasn't a real, you know, serious chat. We didn't get into to really deep things right away. But, hey, here's why I, I just moved over here, and I live a couple houses down from my grandmother to take care of her. We just had a conversation, talk a little bit about sports, and he goes on and I go on. And the Lord says, see if you just would keep your eyes open, and trust me every once in a while, you might learn something. And I'm thinking, okay, there's one more person I know. There's one more opportunity I might have at some point to talk to somebody about Jesus. Do I understand that I'm called to be a witness. That's part of the profound conclusion that Luke comes to, that Jesus says, disciples, you are my witnesses. And then there's one other response with which Luke closes this passage and is found in verses 50 through 53. He led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God, this response of worship. I think maybe for the first time, uh, everything that they've experienced, the teaching ministry of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the death and his resurrection, maybe all of it for the first time, finally all come together for them. And they're fully comprehending, maybe for the first time that Jesus is Lord and their response is a response of worship. Their response is a response to bow down and praise God for who he is. Their response is to have a joy-filled worship that leads them to be in the temple day in and day out, just praising God and thanking him for what he has done through Christ. This is actually the first and only time in the Gospel of Luke that Luke records someone worshiping Jesus. It's the only time that Luke uses this particular word in his Gospel, and I think there's a reason for that. Because you want to kind of say the most important thing is kind of the last thing you say, you know, we learned in seminary, the first thing you say and the last thing you say is what most people remember, and they forget all that stuff in the middle. And I raised my hand and asked a really stupid question. I said, well, why do we say all the stuff in the middle? <laughs> why don't we say the first thing and the last thing? We all get out of church a whole lot quicker. And I didn't get a good grade because of that. But And as you can see, I haven't applied that to my life either. So, um, but the last thing that Luke says is that they worshiped. And it's the only time he's ever said that. I think there's a significance to that. And I think the significance is that Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is calling us to bow before God, to commit our lives to Him, and to find our identity in Him. He becomes our our all-in-all, all, so to speak. Every once in a while, I'm flipping the channels. I'll stop on the the um, poker championship of the world. You know where they, where they've got they're betting hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you know you'll see a guy go all in. And he takes all. You know, here's four hundred thousand dollars. I'm all in, and I'm like, you know, I'd panic over betting a dollar. And he's you know he's got an all in, but he's committed. And he's sure he's going to win her. She's sure she's going to win. And and they've they've got the best hand. And that's what Luke's saying. You got the best hand. (laughs) You have the Lord Jesus. He's the Messiah who takes away your sins. He's called you by his grace and by his mercy. And the response, the right response, the ultimate response, and the only good response is worship. As far as application goes, let me say this, and then we'll go to the Lord's table. I think there's an individual application as well as a corporate application. Individually, I believe that daily we need to worship God. And by that, I mean, we need to engage emotionally with God. We need to engage our head and our heart. It's not just enough for me to pick up my Bible and read two verses and say, okay, Lord, bless my day and out the door I go. But to sit at the feet of Jesus and to read his word, and to, and to pray, and even, uh, may I be so bold as to say that to sing his praise, and I don't sing in my house because I get kicked out of my house pretty quick. Uh, I sing in the car where nobody else can hear me, uh, but, but singing praise to God, even with a voice like mine, does something for my heart that reminds me who I am in Christ, and it reminds me that I'm right where I'm supposed to be in submission to my Lord, enjoying my relationship with him, understanding that I've gotten this all by grace and mercy and didn't earn a bit of it. But if I don't worship as an individual, I really can't worship with you guys as a family. Our family worship only goes so far as our individual worship has taken us during the week. And so I think there's a corporate application here too that says that you and I owe it to one another to worship God all week long, even in the struggle. Even in the dark moments, even when you go, Lord, I I just, I can't see you right now. Even in those moments to worship God so that when we gather together, there's a spirit among us that proclaims Jesus as Lord. And we're all kind of starting off on the same page and we're all moving forward together. When we, when we come into worship as, well, I wonder what I'm going to get. And I wonder how long the sermon is going to be. I wonder if church is going to be any good today. (laughs) And I've been guilty of saying that before. We come as consumers. We come as if God's going to give us something. We're actually putting ourselves as the Lord and Jesus as our servant. And God calls us to worship. God commands our worship. God has owed our worship. And as you and I worship individually during the week, and as maybe even Saturday night before we lay our heads on the pillow, you say, okay, Lord, I'm really excited to be there tomorrow morning or this morning, depending on what time you lay your head on the pillow we begin to prepare ourselves to nurture one another and to encourage one another in lives of worship. Friends, I want to I want to just remind us all as gently as I can that worship is what we come to give, not what we come to get. God is the audience when we're here on Sunday morning. It is him that we're praising. It's him before whom we bow and offer our worship. And I want to encourage myself. I, I've been convicted by this this week that my life of worship as an individual needs to be strengthened so that our worship as a congregation, so that I can worship with you and serve you. Jesus leaves the disciples worshiping. That's where Luke concludes. Luke wrote a sequel, The Acts of the Apostles. You can read it. It's the book of Acts. It's the fourth book of the fifth book of the New Testament. And that talks all about their witness. But their witness came out of their worship of this one.